You're listening to a Richwood Church podcast. You know, fear can be an insidious visitor. At times, it can blindside you. At times, it can surprise you. And at times, fear can absolutely cripple you. But today, I want you to know that you can have victory over fear. You can live with joy by following the example of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to be encouraged this morning, and Peter will encourage all of us through this amazing text, that you can say no to fear. You don't have to live in fear. You can cast it aside. So please take your Bibles if you would, and we're going to dive in this morning, and we're going to start in 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 13. 1 Peter 3.13, if you don't have a Bible with you, you can just grab that one in the seat back in front of you and turn to page 1015, or you can use the Ridgewood app. 1 Peter 3, beginning in verse 13. If you're a guest this morning, or if you're new to Ridgewood, we are going through a series of talks on the book of 1 Peter, and we call it Strangers and Aliens, because we are much like the people that Peter is addressing here in the first century. And we want you to be able to thrive even though you're living in a rapidly changing culture. And so in this section today, you'll see that the fear of suffering, the fear of retribution can be turned to blessing and even can be seen as an honor to suffer for Christ by simply following the example of Christ. So let's take a look at this text together and see how we can say no to fear, beginning in verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make, to do, to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. Verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison because they formerly did not obey when God's patience waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is, eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven, and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And God bless the reading of his sacred word today. This is a lot to try and take in. So let's get right to it and find out how to alleviate fear in our lives because that's the command that Peter has here. Have no fear. And, and you have to remember that he's writing to people who have every right to be fearful, it seems. Look at 13 and 14. 
Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them or be troubled. The them refers to those who in Peter's day were hostile to the gospel. And you have to remember who's writing this. This is Peter who denied Christ three times because he was afraid. And he hid away. But now throughout his ministry and as he has he learned more about Jesus, now he can trust and he's looking at these believers that have fled Rome and are in the northern provinces. He's saying, you don't have to be afraid of them. And these are people who had relatives back in Rome that were being slaughtered by Nero and persecution was creeping toward them. They were already outcasts. But he's saying, don't be afraid. Have no fear of these people because Jesus will be there for you. He wanted to warn them that persecution was coming, but at the same time, help them to rest in that comfort. And so how do we say no to fear? Well, there are tools here that Peter offers us that can help us to move past areas of fear in our lives. The first tool is simply to live a righteous life. But the second tool is a bit strange. It's to suffer. And so we're going to look at both of those this morning. Look at verse 14. You will be blessed even if you suffer for righteousness' sake. The word blessed in the Greek is to be highly privileged or fortunate. And so if you are a follower of Jesus, you are highly privileged to be a follower of Christ. He has chosen you. He he has made you his child, and what a privilege that is to call yourself a child of God. And so the first tool that Peter gives us in this war against fear is to live a righteous life that flows out of that relationship with Christ. When you're walking with Christ, you live in righteousness. You'll be attuned to Christ. You'll steer away from damaging things, and you can say no to fear. Look at the last words of 14 and the first part of 15. Peter says, Have no fear of them or be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy. When you strive to be holy, which is literally set apart, you avoid getting sucked in to this kind of cultural system that surrounds us, which only leads to pain and only leads to loneliness, it only leads to fear. But instead, we are to live righteous lives. And I think here's where fear really comes in. You know, when we're walking with Christ and, and, and our relationship with Jesus is, is, is the way it should be, we can relinquish control because we're following in His footsteps. We're so close to Him that we're thinking like He thinks and and we're in the Word, and we're praying, and we feel comfortable about what God's doing. But when we step away from that, and we get out here, and we try to do it ourselves, we try to control circumstances. We want our kids to be here, and we want to live here, and we want our jobs to be like that. And we get all these balls moving around, and we become full of anxiety and fear. And so Peter's saying, just live righteously. And if you look down at chapter 4, beginning in verse 1 for a moment, you'll see that 
there is a way to live righteously, but there's also a consequence to not. And here, Peter talks about a righteous life, but then what an unrighteous life looks like. Look at verse 1 in chapter 4. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. So that's righteousness. Verse 3. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do. Gentile simply means non-believer. Living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, which is Christ. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. Meaning that this is why we preach the gospel. It brings the dead to life. And so we can live in a different way. And so Peter wants to arm you. He wants to help you to understand that the way that you can live without fear is to simply live for Christ. But it's a lot harder than that, isn't it? And so, the other part of this that's so very important, and Peter touches on this, is that we want to be able to share the gospel. And, and when we are with Christ, we can be dynamic in how we share the gospel. A righteous life will enable you to share the gospel without fear. You'll be able to go out there and you'll be able to share because you'll be more concerned about what God thinks of you than what people think of you. If you look at 15 and 16 again, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ might be put to shame. So again, we're back to this righteousness. We're back to being tied to Christ, which will enable us then to go out and spread the gospel. But here, here's the thing. When you're not living a righteous life, you're not going to have any effect for the kingdom because no one's going to want to hear what you have to say because you're just like everyone else. So if you're on the job site and you talk like everyone else when you're at school and you act like everyone else, if you have the same kind of language, the same kind of bitterness, the same kind of goals that don't line up biblically, then they're going to say, what are you, what are you talking about? We, you're just like us. But when you're walking with Christ, you shine a light and you become a place where people can look at and find the hope, the hope that is within you. Also, here's the thing about sharing your faith. If you're not walking with Christ, then you're not going to share your faith. Number one, because you're not going to have a real desire to, because it's not really affecting your life. But number two, you'll be afraid to share your faith. How many of us, you know, get on a plane, and instead of saying, Lord, help me to sit next to someone who needs Jesus, I'm saying, Lord, please don't put somebody next to me that needs Jesus, because I'm not, I don't know what to say. And, or we're afraid of being rejected. We're, we're, we're afraid of being labeled. We're, we're afraid that we aren't going to have the right answers when they start to really 
really challenge us, and that's simple fear. But again, when we're walking with Christ, we can make a defense because we know Jesus and we understand who he is and we have a testimony of our own that we can tell people that is very, very compelling because Jesus is the center of it. And so in order to have a kingdom mindset, in order to drill hard into non-believers and help them to understand the gospel, we need to live righteously and then we can do that without fear. But thirdly, Peter makes a point here that I think is really, really important for our day and age. We are to offer the gospel with gentleness and respect. And if we're not walking with Christ, what we likely will do is we will offer something that is judgmental without love to go with it. And I will say that we as believers must see each person worthy of respect, whether they agree with us or not, whether they're believers or not. The, the gay community, the, the whole gender issue, views on abortion, I mean, we, can, we can vastly disagree, but these are people made in the image of God. Gentleness and respect. No social media name-calling. No, no, no passing along things that aren't true. And here's the shocking thing for a lot of believers is that God loves non-believers just as much as he loves you. And they're made in the image of God. And so gentleness and respect is so very, very important. But if you're not walking with Christ, you're going to have a hard time doing that. If, when you're walking with Christ, you'll be able to. Nobody has been a better evangelist than Jesus. Nobody has been more forthright but yet loving than Jesus. And this is so poignant for Ridgewood right now because we desire to make Jesus known through community impact. And we are beginning to get traction. We have various ministries beginning now to go into our community. We're, we're working on starting a preschool, which really excites me because we're talking about generations of children possibly that could come through our doors and learn about Jesus when maybe they won't any other way. We, we want to push the gospel into neighborhood community groups. And as our former pastor, Neil, who we introduced earlier, likes to say, we don't push the gospel, push the front door of our church out into our neighborhoods. Because people need to hear the gospel. And that's important. We want to plant new churches. It's so hard to plant new churches, but we need to. We need to multiply. Only 1% of churches in America are planting to reproduce. Less than 5% are planting at all. And the reason we do that is so 100 years from now, we can look down and we can see church after church after church preaching the gospel in a post-Christian era. If we don't do it, who's going to do it? It's important. We want to revitalize our student ministry. We want to focus on, on children and families. These are our leaders. And we want to finish this whole illuminate thing strong because it's part of our mission. We want, we want to provide a place that you can come and, and you can be proud to bring your friends, a community center for ministry, a place that we can train residents, a, a place that we can look around us. The whole Minnetonka school district is right around us. 
And we can capture that moment and we can bring kids to Christ. And we can do all of that without fear because it's what God called us to do. And if we feel like it's what God called us to do, we can launch out. But here's the qualifier. You need to do it with gentleness and respect. Because if the community doesn't think we love them, if the community sees us being judgmental, then we will have no hope. The community needs to know that we love them. A man told me that goes to church here this week, he was having breakfast, and, and he began to, to share with the, with the waitress, you know, hey, what's your relationship with God? Where do you go to church, et cetera, et cetera? What do you think of God? She goes, you know, i got to tell you. She said, there's a group of men that come here each week, and they have a Bible study. So she was able to identify that, that their Bible's open. And, and she said, when I hear them talk, and, and they mostly talk about politics, they're so rude and arrogant. She said, I'm totally turned off by that. And so gentleness and respect isn't just when we're in the process of sharing. It's how we carry ourselves. It's how we can then become a light to the darkness. So the first tool is simply sanctification. It's living in righteousness. It enables us to live without fear and then to be able to build the kingdom. The second tool is this. It's suffering for Christ. And, and I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. How does, how does suffering help us to overcome fear? Well, look at verse 17. Peter tells us that we may suffer for doing good, but it's preferable to living for ourselves, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. Seems like Peter's contradicting himself because he had just told us that if we do good, that we'll quiet those who revile us. We'll, we'll stop the slandering. He's not contradicting himself at all. What he's saying is, is that they may still come after you, but it won't be because you have caused it. It'll be because you're, you're, you're talking about me, and, and Jesus has never been popular. And so suffering may very well be in our future. But it's okay, because Jesus is our example, and, and, and Jesus suffered well. And so we can just... Follow him into suffering if that's what God has called us to do with the confidence that Jesus has already been there and that he has received a reward for his suffering, which is glorification with the Father, and he has been handed the keys to the kingdom. And so the beautiful thing about being a Christian is that we can follow Jesus into suffering and know that we too will be glorified because we are a child of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. In verse 18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So Jesus provides this perfect example of suffering, and he did not fear men. He was about his Father's business. And so because he did not fear men, he was able to offer himself as a sacrifice for sin. He was able to pay for sin on the cross. He was able to rise again and defeat death for all time. And, and he's calling us to follow him. 
Because we don't have to live in fear because he's defeated all the things that we're afraid of. And so, while verse 18 clearly states the purpose of why Jesus went to the cross, it also is a really complicated strain of thought. And so let me just see if I can give you a flow here. Peter is preparing his flock for suffering. They're, they're in the Roman provinces. They're up north. Rome has been burned, blamed on Christians. Nero was killing people. Persecution was heading toward them, and they were already societal outcasts. They were like us. They were strangers and aliens in a culture that must have seemed so foreign to them. So Peter then, he anticipates the human reaction naturally would be to become fearful and and to withdraw and and, and to hide and and to not want to make any waves. So in order to help them not to do that, he points to Jesus. And he says, you know, Jesus suffered. and, and, And Jesus paid for sin. And through his death, there comes salvation. And then he was raised from death to life. He was glorified, and then we are glorified with him. So you can say no to fear. Because Jesus has already been there. He's already done that. And so, really, the point is, is how can any possible permanent harm come to you when you are a child of the king of the universe? If I had to just do a bottom line, that's what Peter's trying to get across here. And so Peter illustrates this point with amazing, you know, complex thought, but yet so simple in a way. And then in 19 and 20, he talks about Noah and the ark and the few that came through water. And so what we see here is that Jesus is the one who binds fear through ultimate victory. Because here's what Peter's saying, is after Jesus died, and I know this is a little bit weird, and I wish I had more time to expound on it, but after Jesus died, the Bible teaches that he went into Sheol, which is the, 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 the holding place of the wicked as they await the final judgment. The Bible talks about in Revelation chapter 20 that there will be a final judgment. The wicked are awaiting that judgment. But until Christ paid the final sacrifice, there was also a place where the righteous were waiting for Messiah, a beautiful heavenly kind of place. And Jesus went there and declared victory and took the righteous with him to glory. But he didn't have to do a war there. Victory had already been won on the cross. And because victory has been won on the cross, you and I can say no to fear. Because as followers of Jesus, we believe in the cross. We trust in the cross. And our Savior went to the cross. So why can you say no to fear? You can because Jesus has already been there. You can live a righteous life and stay close to Christ. And you can understand that He has already won victory. And then you look look fear in the face and you can say, I'm not going to have you. You're not going to inhibit me. You're not going to stop me from doing what Jesus wants me to do. But here, here, here's a warning that in order to defeat fear, you have to take a long-range view. 
Because we live in a fallen world. And things aren't always going to go the way we think they're going to go. Husbands leave, leave, they leave wives and wives leave husbands. And people die and jobs are lost and, and we get sick and our friends desert us. And, and these things happen in a, in a fallen world, but, but it's not random. And so the hope we have as believers is that God is in all of this and he's guiding us along. That's why suffering doesn't have to be fearful at all. Because Jesus is guiding us toward a deeper relationship with him. And if we want to see this, we just have to go back and revisit what we already know. If we go back to, to 1 Peter 1, 6-9, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And so if this is true, and you know it is, then you can rest in the fact that whatever comes your way, God is working it out for the good, for your growth, for the salvation of your soul, for the salvation of other souls. And so you can look fear in the eye. And as a child of God, you can say no to fear. And so what I want you to do is just take a moment with God and and put down all your things and close your eyes and ask God, what is it, God, that I'm afraid of? What is it that's hindering my walk with you? What is it that's hindering my joy? What is it that's hindering relationships? What is it that's hindering my ability to preach the gospel to people? For me, it's this fear of having lost a child, of losing another one. And so it's paralyzing because there are times when I don't even want my kids to go out. I don't want them to go on a youth event because I don't know if they're going to come back. So I have to keep releasing that over and over again. So that's what I'm asking you to do right now. So just close your eyes for a moment and then I'll close in prayer. Thank you for joining us on the Ridgewood Church Podcast. We encourage you to receive the message that was just given and let the Lord do a mighty work in and through you. For more information on how to connect, give to this ministry, or for more faith-based resources, visit us at myrwc.org.